This is Generation Justice, a multimedia project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Katerie Zuni. Tonight, we continue our celebration of Women's History Month by featuring a conversation with Sandra Akkad. Sandra is an educator and founder of Tutor Me. She shares her experience and hopes for educating youth in Albuquerque. We'll also hear about the upcoming 2019 Success Summit from Sean Fowler and Eric Oligier from UNM's Men of Color Initiative. Don't miss this hour where we learn about empowering students. To get us started, here is We Got the Power by Gorillaz. We got the power to be loving each other no matter what happens. We got the power to do that. Well, now the proof world is in me, okay? We got the power to be ringing the great bell out there above us. We got the power for that. We got the power to do that. Sandra Akkad is a Palestinian activist, an educator, a mother, and is the founder of Tutor Me and the Red Hearted. Sandra is an instructor at UNM's Peace and Global Studies program. Tonight, she speaks with youth producer Peter Wing about her philosophy on education, activism, and her experiences following 9-11. This is Peter Wing with Generation Justice. I am speaking with Sandra Codd. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you, Peter. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. Will you please tell us more about yourself? Sure. Well, uh, my name is Sandra Codd. I am a Palestinian American. I have three children. I am an educator and an entrepreneur. You have been my tutor for some time, and it has helped me a lot academically. What has inspired you to start Tutor Me? To be honest with you, the education system. Uh, unfortunately, as a country, America is not doing too good. I think with the latest numbers, we probably rank like 36 out of 70 countries internationally. That's like a test that's given to 15-year-olds, math, science, and, and English. And we just uh, need to work on that. Now, as a state, New Mexico, I don't know if you're aware, but we rank on the lower end of the totem pole. So that's not okay. And that this really hurts my heart. And I just, I think there's a lot of missing links. And I know that everybody has a solution, although no solution is working. You have politicians promising the, the moon and the sky, but nothing's happening. Instead, we have a system that's basically failing students. We have frustrated teachers. Uh, we have a lot of bureaucracy. Hence, we have a lot of shortcomings coming to our students. And so my way of, if you will, making it better is to find a third arm to help the students. Because the idea of having tutor me is to help the teacher, help the parent, and help the student. And with the reality of the way the world is right now, most households, you have two parents working. A lot of households, you have single parents. There's a lot of responsibility on parents. There's a lot of issues going on, so they're not able to tend to their children. Kids need to go somewhere. They need to get be able to get that one-on-one -on -one attention. 
some of our teachers are some of the most amazing teachers that are really that go unrecognized, and it breaks my heart because I know there are some great teachers out there. But by virtue of the situation they're teaching in, the limitations in time, right, with working with the kids, the numbers of the kids, and they don't have help, and the fact that they have to answer to all this bureaucracy with all this paperwork and all these uh, assessments and what have you, they're not able to give these kids what they really want. So Tutor Me came up as a solution to help with what, the students really need. And that's a place where they can go. They can be reinforced with everything they're taking, you know, and consolidated, like the knowledge they're taking in class can be re-explained at Tutomy. And they can be given material to enrich them where they actually advance. And it's a safe environment. It's a very conducive environment. It's a very stimulating, motivating environment that really works well. And I've been doing it for several years now. And I tell you what, every student pretty much that walks in walks out a better student in so many respects. And teachers love it too because they're able to tell me what they need me to work with with their students. So I help them. Parents love it. I think one of the best compliments that I've gotten uh, because of Tutor Me, it came from a parent that said, thank you, not only for helping our student and our son, but thank you for restoring harmony in our family. Because basically when they come, we're helping them with their homework. Everything is done. They take them. They get to go and enjoy them. They actually get to go and bond together. And that's that in itself is awesome. So that's a good thing. And I actually had a first grader tell me one time, he said, Miss Sandra, I just love what you do. I love coming here because, and he, these were his exact words. I mean, to this day, I don't know how he came up with it, but you make the ordinary extraordinary. And I'm like, it doesn't get better than that. So just having kids recognize their potential and getting kids to meet their potential, that's what it's about. But that's really the reason behind it. So that transcends in my philosophy of teaching. That's why I do well. If I can teach you for you to know that you are capable of achieving, then you will achieve. And, you know, just the skills of teaching you the math, the algebra, the quadratic equations, et cetera, et cetera, that's just the first step. The bigger picture is for you to actually believe that you can. And I think that's what I do. And so far, so good. I've been very successful. But I believe in making students believe in themselves ultimately and then sending them out there. And they, boy, they never let me down. My dream is to see a tutor me in every district. I'd love to see it internationally, not just nationally, because it really works. So who knows? I want to take it there. Tell us about the act- activism work you have done in Albuquerque and beyond. Um, I, to be honest with you, I don't know that I actually became an activist. I think I was born an activist because I'm in the power, uh, the business of empowering people. And throughout my life, I've done it in different ways. I think it stems from being Palestinian. Uh, being a Palestinian American, I was fortunate enough because my father believed in the idea that we should be aware of our own identity. And an identity encompasses the multi-ethnicities that happen to be in your heritage. With me, my ethnicity stems from Palestine. My parents are first-generation American, but they came from Palestine. Um, And he believed in the idea that we should travel and actually get to know Palestine. And so as a student, um, by the way, I've been in Catholic schools all my life, um, but I in ninth grade, went to a Catholic school in Jerusalem. It's called Rosary Sister School. And I was exposed to the Palestinian lifestyle, the Palestinian history, the Palestinian people. And from there, I, I lived and saw the injustice. And I think that's really what sparked uh, the idea that I needed to come and make a difference as long as I could do what I could for the people and the voiceless people in Palestine that couldn't 
And from then on, it sparked into other initiatives, other people's plights, recognizing um, other people's plights and, and working for them and helping them, which also is, is, is a reverse from what I said earlier, transcends into education. Because the best way you could teach people about one other people's plight is through educating them and, and developing an awareness of what it is that their history is based on. How have your experiences in Palestine shaped you as an activist, as an educator? Wow. Um, that's probably the essence of who I am, really. It lays at the core of who I am. Because, you know, I've had the privilege of living in Palestine. And I've seen what it is to have people humiliated and oppressed. Um, and that just opened up my eyes to an unfair world and, an, and a, a really oppressed society that needed help and needed recognition more than anything. And for the longest time, I think they were not being recognized for what they needed to be, which is it is an occupation. And Palestine in 1948, prior to 1948, was Palestine. After 48 became Israel. And there's a long history there. There's a lot of occupation of lands and what have you in 1967. And without delving into all that, recognizing that, seeing that, hearing it from the mouths of Palestinians regarding the, the history that they endured, hearing it from older people, hearing it from younger people, and seeing it firsthand just opened my eyes to an injustice that I could not stay um, silent for. I needed to support in any which way. And as an educator, obviously, my mission is to always tell the truth and speak the story of a people that are oppressed and, and say it like it is and not sugarcoat it and not utilize revisionist history like some people tend to do. And so I'm, of the, uh, I'm an opponent of speaking the truth and respecting the truth. And in the end, coming out to a just and fair solution for all people everybody involved. But in order to have a solution, you got to recognize the conflict and the injustice first. Tell us about the Red Hearted. What was the deepest discussion that has come from it? Oh, the Red Hearted. Gosh. Well, you know, um, it's an awesome initiative that I started many years ago. Um, but it stemmed because of an unfortunate incident that happened, actually. After 9-11, what happened with the, that horrible, horrible uh, event, um, I want to say maybe a couple of years after that, I was at an intersection. My children are very little. I have three children, a son and two daughters. And we were at an intersection, and this man just stopped right, pulled up right next to us. And he threw us a finger, and he said, go back to your country. And my children were horrified. Uh, my daughters were crying. And from that event... LeVar Burton used to have a contest. I don't know if they still have it in grade school. Uh, it was a reading rainbow contest. And her teacher actually recommended that she go into that contest writing a story. And so that's when I came up with ideas. Why don't we talk about that incident? Because I really was afraid. I didn't, she was very timid and I didn't want her to harbor any kind of fear. So it was my way of having her deal with that pain. And it turned out to be the best thing. It was very therapeutic in actuality. But she wrote a story. And she talked about the event, and she drew pictures of the event. And in the end, um, her message was very powerful because she said, on the outside, it doesn't matter what we really look like, what color we are, what we dress, how we eat, whatever. In the end, we all have the same red heart. 
anatomically, we all have the same kind of heart, right? And our bodies work the same way. So that was her message. And when she, we did that together, she um, got second place. And the head of the committee of the, the judge actually recommended for it to be published, which is something on our to-do list. But from then on, I knew that we were onto something. And, and uh, it helped her a lot. And I knew that it could help a lot of kids. So me and her collectively worked on an initiative called the Red Hearted. And basically what it is is we, it's, it's a platform that we offer to students. And we, we bring in students from different ethnicities to get to know each other. We give them a safe haven, a discussion table, to ask any question under the sun to understand the other student that's in front of them. And by the end of the discussion, that student is no longer the other. It's just we are students together. And we are people. The idea is that we can meet together at a human point. And that's the whole objective of the session. Lots of times I will use documentaries. Uh, there was one episode where I, uh, there's an episode called Real Bad Arab, and Real as an R-E-E-L. It was done by Dr. Jack Shaheen, and he just passed away actually not too long ago. Amazing, amazing professor. But he basically did a study on over a thousand Disney movies, and he studied how the Middle Eastern and the uh, Muslim identity was portrayed. And needless to say, not well. The image was that of a terrorist, a demeaning uh, men, you know, just pretty much uh, crooked uh, crooks, basically. Women were subjugated or part of a harem and all, all that kind of innuendo. In any event, uh, so we saw the documentary and we conducted a discussion about what they felt about it. And to be honest with you, prior to watching that documentary, they never questioned anything in the movies they saw. But once we went through that documentary dissection, all of a sudden media literacy mattered. And they start, they, they were, I mean, I'd like to say that I sort of opened up their eyes to the idea that just because you hear something and it's on a huge screen and it's a blockbuster doesn't make it okay and doesn't make it right. And we need to get in the habit of questioning things, right? You, and you always need to know the source of things. So that's all kinds of stuff that comes up in these kinds of discussions, and it builds up for a lot of bridges, a lot of camaraderie, a lot of understanding, and a lot of awareness as to how misled we have been throughout these years. Well, that, that's a lot of powerful activism. Thank and you empowerment you've done for uh, Palestinians, Muslims, and the youth. Yeah, and I don't restrict it just to, I mean, it, unfortunately, it's, it, it had to, we started with the Muslim-American perspective only because, obviously, the past, you know, years have been, we've been the, the, the target, if you will. But it does transcend it to other ethnicities. I mean, there's been, God knows, there's been a lot of uh, targeted people throughout our history. And so I've dealt with Hispanics, I've dealt with African Americans, with Native Americans, obviously, with Asians as well. So the hope is to, to establish that and to establish a, a foundation where people understand that we need to really just treat each other with dignity, right, and with respect. It's, I know a lot of people are hyped on this world tolerance, that we have to tolerate, tolerate. I don't even like the word tolerate. For me, tolerate is a limited word. Tolerate insinuates that, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to believe what I believe about you. I'm just going to shut up about it. I'm going to keep it in my heart and I'm just not going to say it in your face, but I may say it behind your back. And that's not okay. We need to go way beyond that. We need to be able to truly 
talk about our differences and understand where they're coming from, right? Because when you do that, you're basically validating the other perspective. Doesn't mean that you have to agree, but you recognize that the other person is a human being with valid rights, with a right to express themselves and live as they choose, and with human rights, right? Human rights should not be limited to a certain culture or color or ethnicity. It's a universal right, correct? So that's where I come from. I don't know if we're going to have a chance, but I I was fortunate enough to be nominated to give a TED Talk. And the, the primary message in my TED Talk was, in the end, you know, we are all about a story. Every one of us carries a valid story. And we have names, but behind names, we have a life, we have a purpose, we have meaning, and we need to come to terms to recognize that every one of us does. And the more we get to know each other's stories, the more we get to uh, uh, recognize that we have stories and appreciate and respect each other's stories. We're not, you know, you talk about casualties of war. Nothing upsets me more than when we start talking about like collateral damage and all of a sudden people are reduced to numbers and then they're reduced to tens and then hundreds and then they go into the thousands and it's like nothing. That's absolutely desecrating. You know, it's, 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 it's dehumanizing at the worst end of dehumanization. People are not numbers, they're people and we need to recognize that. And, um, you know, everybody has a story. And, and like I said in my TED Talk, and believe it or not, some people have repeated this to me. It's, it's stuck with them, this saying that no one has the right to rewrite anyone's story. And that's ultimately, if I had to sum up my life, that would probably be my motto. No one has the right to rewrite anyone's story. Everybody's entitled to their story. We have to recognize that. We cannot revise anybody's history. We have to come to terms with it, and we have to do what we need to do to make amends, to give reparations for the abhorrent crimes or injustices that we've committed. And we've had to, we have to advocate that all over the world. We need to be the beacon of justice. We used to be at maybe certain points in our life, but we really got to go back and re, re, rejuvenate or re, improve, improve and perfect. That's actually better because I don't think that we've ever actually been a total beacon of justice just yet. But I'm very hopeful, though. I'm very hopeful, and I think with your generation, it's going to come because people are recognizing that we need to step up. How has 9-11 changed the course of your personal life? Mm. Um, There's an unfortunate irony, actually, in the whole 9-11 incident. It happens to be my daughter's birthday. So when 9-11 actually uh, happened, it was on the day of my youngest daughter's birthday. And ever since then, and I don't want to give away my TED Talk, but it does center around uh, the issue that the way I dealt with it. So when you have children, when you were younger, I'm sure your mom would take you on your birthday, you know, cakes and what have you. And and, and I did it for all my children, except for my youngest. When 9-11 happened, at that point, when it started, from that day on, every birthday, I would take her cupcakes or cake the following day because I was, by virtue of this happening, even though I had nothing to do with it. I mean, 9-11, the, the, the whole atrocity of 9-11 didn't just happen to America. It happened to me, and I happened to be American, right? But it was a double whammy because I was a Muslim American. And so on one side, I felt the horrific incident, and I was very saddened and hurt and 
from like everybody. But on the other side of the coin, I happened to be Muslim, and all of a sudden I was became a target. So people, some people, or I felt that I was made to be, feel that way. And some people, not the majority, some people made me feel like I had to apologize for something that I had absolutely nothing to do with it. So in that regard, I think it changed who I was because I recognized all my life I was born into this country. My grandfather immigrated to America in 1914. And I, all my life felt as an American. I guess I've always said I'm Palestinian American, but in the end I was American and I thought of myself as an American. It really wasn't until that incident. Now, granted, a lot of the Middle Easterners, Muslims, had been ridiculed through politics, through Disney, you know, through these movies. And I felt that, and that was okay, but that was secondary. But when this incident happened, it put a whole new spin on it. And I personally felt attacked, and it wasn't a very comfortable feeling. Um, that's when, to be honest with you, the activism really kicked in. Because then I realized, you know what, I can't leave it for other people to be my mouthpiece. That's not okay. And even though I've been vocal all my life, it was the impetus. It, was, it became imperative that I step it up. And that's how uh, really what triggered it. Because I started to worry about a world that my kids were going to grow up in. And then their kids would be in. And the kids around me. And then when I get into education, I saw the effects of, of different kinds of happenings with other kids. And so that's the impetus. That's how it changed me. It changed the way I thought about how we need to do it no longer. Did I rely on anybody else to be my mouthpiece? I needed to step up and defend myself and explain myself. Not explain, not because I was affiliated in any shape or form, but I needed to speak up and say, no, Islam has no part in what happened. The people that committed these acts were bad people. It's not because the religion is bad. It's because the people that did it were bad. And that is a huge distinction. And I felt uh, that's what I knew. It's like, got to get out there and start talking. Are there any famous Muslims or activists you really admire? You know, um, there's activists throughout history that we, we admire. I mean, I can't even start the list, but I'll, I'm going to tell you something. My heroes are the people that fight in Palestine, right? The people that have endured an oppression, an occupation, that are living on a daily basis with no hope, with no justice, um, and, and, and the, the, I mean, the plight of the Palestinians, um, although I have to say is becoming more recognized thanks to social media, you can't hide the truth anymore. It's too hard to have the propaganda machine succeed. For the longest time, there was a propaganda machine working against the Palestinians. But that's been decimated by virtue of the openness of the social media platforms. So because of that, they're, they're, they're finally getting the recognition they need. So a, a young lady who was a medic in, in June was, was, was targeted in Gaza. Her name was Razan Najjar. She was a 20-year-old beautiful medic who was doing nothing but helping people that were injured, who were just protesting a lawful right. It was called, it, it, to this day, they still they go and they uh, protest every Friday. It's called the Protest for the Right to, to Return. And that's a whole other, you know, uh, uh, history lesson that we don't have enough time for. But it's a lawful, it's a, it's a, it's a peaceful demonstration. And she was targeted. And she had a white kerchief saying that she was there in peace and she was killed. I mean, that she was targeted. By Israelis. Uh, so she's my hero. People that endure that type of oppression 
and still have hope and still get up in the morning. They don't have rights. They don't have electricity. They don't have water. They don't have the opportunity to get educated, but they get out there and they want to voice their opinion. Those are my heroes. The people that fight for, for the immigrants are my heroes. The immigrants themselves are my heroes. The people that walked over 2,000 miles just to get to our border in hopes of a future, they're my heroes. People that work for a better world are my heroes. Does that make sense? It does. Cool. And it really kind of like relates a lot to my family. Yeah. And how they fled communist Vietnam to here in this. The war was during the, from 50s to um, the 70s. Right. But they, my dad came here in the 90s, along with much of his family. And my mom came here in the early 2000s. Wow. That's so cool. And that's so awesome that you recognize your history. It's so important, Peter, because you, you are privileged to have this life. Right? This is the greatest country in the world. But it's the greatest country in the world because it gives opportunities to us, right? But by virtue of who we are collectively. Like, how awesome is it that you are Vietnamese first-generation American, right? right? And I am first-generation American. I'm Palestinian. I was born here. And look at us communicating. There's absolutely no borders between us. There's no barriers between us. Yes, we are at the core Americans, but doesn't take away from you being a Vietnamese American. And I'm a Palestinian American. I love your food. You love my food. I'll learn your language. You learn my language. I recognize you. You recognize me. That's the way it should be. Right? That's the world I want to create, sweetheart. That's the world I want you and your generation to fight for. And we, your elders, need to help you get there. Is there anything else you would like to add about your activism or your ideas and philosophy of empowering people throughout history in, and in the world and in present time. Oh, my God. Do you want to go home tonight? <laughs> um, you know what? There's so much to be said. And it's, it's, it, um, I'm talking, like I said, we're both having this amazing uh, dialogue and speech and heart-to-heart, -heart, if you will. Um, but I do want to mention one thing that I don't think I've mentioned yet. I was very proud. I just completed my master's at UNM, and I completed a thesis. And the subject of my thesis, actually, the title was, it was called The Missing Narrative. And it had to do basically with Israeli um, textbooks and how they represent or misrepresent the Palestinian identity. And that was eye-opening for me. As much as I actually thought and thought I knew how much Palestinians have endured, I even learned more so about it. So it turns out that in Israel proper, although 20% of its population happens to be Palestinians, Palestinians are not referred to as Palestinians. They are referred to as Arabs. And that bothered me. You know, I'm like, why are they not recognized for who they are? And in my thesis, the who I hope to publish, which I hope to publish, actually, I talk about an incident that sparked the thesis. To make a long story short, I was at a, a presentation here, actually, at UNM, and a founder of a, a bilingual school uh, from Israel came, and he wanted to raise some funds, and so he spoke in an auditorium here at UNM. But when he his his uh, school was called Hand in Hand, they still exist. There's about six of them. He, when he spoke about his endeavor, um, from the outskirt, everything looked like it was awesome. It was an honorable intention. He wanted to bring in two ethnicities, two languages, and try and create one culture of a school. But there was one, there was like an elephant in the room for me, right? And I was probably the only Palestinian in the room. 
that recognized this. And it was the fact that he kept referring to Jewish and Arab students, Jewish and Arab students. As he spoke, he just said Jewish and Arab students. And then he gave out brochures, and then he had a PowerPoint, and everything was Jewish and Arab. And I'm like, okay, where is Palestinian in all this? So that really bothered me. So I raised up my hand, and I said, you know, your endeavor is awesome. It's admirable. I love what you're trying to do. But there's a big issue for me. In this equation, you're missing the major part that goes with Jewish. And he says, why? I says, Palestinian. And he looked at me like I had just thrown a, a whole pail of ice cubes in his face. He didn't expect that. And I'm like, yeah, where is it? Why is there no reference to their identity? And he had no answer for me. And he basically said, well, I have a partner who happens to be Palestinian. And he didn't mind uh, us not mentioning Palestinian. In fact, he never even mentioned it. I'm like, I find it hard to believe that a Palestinian willingly gave up his identity. And so that's what sparked my thesis. I did a lot of research. I wrote, uh, I'm very proud of the product. I graduated with distinction. And it talks about how the narrative of the Palestinian is not even mentioned in the history books, the civic books, or misrepresented totally of Israeli schools. And that is a heartache. And that is just not okay. So I imagine these little kids, Palestinian kids that start at kindergarten, and they're being taught Zionist history and Zionist rules as if though that's the norm. And they're being denied their own, the mention of their own identity in these books. And that's absolutely not okay. So that's what sparked it. And I want to continue with it. So I'll be doing a lot more work towards that. But this is this all centers around what is very important to me, and it culminates in this. We do have stories, but like I said, I go back to a, my original saying, no one has the right to rewrite anyone's story. So it's not okay to rewrite a Palestinian history. It's not okay to rewrite an indigenous population history, the Native American, the African American. They all have to be recognized for what they are. Chinese American, Japanese American, Vietnamese American, you name it, Italian American, Irish American, they're entitled to the truth. We need to face it, and we need to deal with it. Not sugarcoat it, not revise it. History needs to be told in the essence and the truthful fashion that it happened. So that's what I am in a nutshell. And I hope to make this world better, but that's I'm going to do my part and hopefully continue to do the work I do on so many fronts, on so many levels, but it's all about empowering people generally for me, but specifically for the youth and for students. So that's what I do. Whether it's the ACT or whether it's recognizing who they are as an identity, it's all about empowerment. Thank you for like all these actions of empowerment and your determination to make this world a better place for everyone and trying to like tell everyone out there that history needs to be told in its purest form, not like exaggerated or twisted or anything. And um, your activism and yeah. You're awesome, Peter. You know what? Thank you for recognizing that. You're so awesome. I believe in you. I, I, It's been a pleasure working with you. I know I've known you for a while, and I, you are blossoming into an amazing young man, and I just love where you're going. I love the fact that you're in Generation Justice. I love everything Miss Roberta Real does and Miss Catery, and I think that this is an amazing initiative that I want you to pursue, but in the end, it's all about no one has the right to, to rewrite, rewrite anyone's story. story. That's exactly right. Respect that, love it, and go with it. Thank you, sweetheart. Thanks for this amazing platform. It's been a pleasure. For Generation Justice, this is Peter Wink. Thank you so much, Sandra, for all of the love and encouragement that you show Peter as his tutor, but also 
for all of the students that you teach and empower to remind us that we own our stories and our histories. And Peter, thank you so much for a great first interview. Now, here is We Are Here by Alicia Keys. Let's talk about Chateau. Welcome back to Generation Justice. The Men of Color Initiative is a UNM program that focuses on the academic success and well-being of Asian Pacific Islander, Black, Latino, and Native men on campus. Here to share with us some details on Men of Color Initiative and their upcoming 2019 Student Success Summit are Sean Fowler and Eric Olegir, two young leaders from Men of Color Initiative. Eric and Sean, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And let's get started. If you'll just please tell me more about yourselves, Eric. Uh, so I am currently a freshman here on campus. I graduated high school back in 2018 from Albuquerque High. And uh, when I heard about Men of Color Initiative, I first heard about it through Rodney over the summer before my first semester here at UNM. And he was telling me that he was the director for this uh, initiative and that he was trying to get more men of color to participate, to get involved. And I said, where do I sign up? I was just, I wanted to be part of the campus, part of the community and kind of like help out or give back in any way that I could. And I thought it was a great opportunity and I was able to network through the initiative, meet some friends, my friend Sean and um, Jose Miguel, who couldn't join us today, um, and also just branch out, I guess. Very awesome. And Sean? Well, I actually just graduated this past fall. So, yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, I just graduated. I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. So, Albuquerque is my home, but it wasn't my first home. And the way that I learned about the Man of Color Initiative was actually from a fraternity, brother. I'm part of Omega Delta Phi Fraternity Incorporated. And ever since me and Rodney linked up together, it's just been a life-changing experience. I can honestly say if it wasn't for the Man of Color Initiative, it would have been a bit of a rough path graduating this past fall. So that's why I'm here to help out as much as I can and give back to the program that helped me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And... Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the work and the mission of Men of Color Initiative? So pretty much the Men of Color Initiative was created to help all men to succeed. So picture yourself as that freshman. I know at least for me, I was lost. I didn't know exactly where to go and like the resources I needed to succeed and the college experience. The Men of Color Initiative is there to help you out, guiding you for the right resources, guiding you for if you need to study, if you need to more of a social life, anything that you need as a freshman, we are here to help you. And it's not just for freshmen, you know, sometimes seniors need a little help as well. So it's just pretty much for all men, you know, just as that 
step forward that we like to give out and uh, just help out as much as we can for all the men on campus. Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Eric? Uh, yeah, so... Um, like what Sean was saying, coming or me coming in as a freshman, like I definitely need the help. I was so confused. I was like coming into college, like what's the credit hour system? What does that mean? Like our classes depend on that, or it's like I was so confused. But just talking to Rodney or some friends, uh, upperclassmen friends that I've met, and helped me explain how to sign up, register for classes, how to drop it, or make sure that you're signing up for the right ones. It really helped me kind of create this future plan for me so that I know what I'm gonna be doing for my four years or if I wanna go into a um, graduate school and get a master's or PhD. And I also want to add that we're not just only for men. Any Anybody on campus can come to us. We're, we offer, like, coaching. Um, if you ever need some free printing, we have resources back at the office. We also help um, set up workshops, organ, our workshops and events. But we also work with other organizations outside of campus and on campus. So we help with the networking aspect about it, too. You said the magic words, free printing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My ears perk up. <laughs> um, why is it so important to have spaces and organizations like these for young men of color? I guess I'm speaking on my behalf. It was important for me to have something like this just so you can have just a little bit more help and a little more motivation, you know? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of guys that come out lacks the motivation. I know at least I lacked the motivation at first. But because I had a great support system in Rodney and just something to look forward to and something to uphold and like build from, it just definitely helped me a lot to get through. And I feel like it's a good step for young men as well, and it can help them build as well. Young men and women, all, yeah. And so, Eric, how has being involved with Women of Color Initiative improved your university experience? It's... It's helped a lot, honestly, because my mentality coming into college was kind of like, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to focus on my classes. I know I'm not going to have time to hang out with friends or anything. I'm just going to try to get my classes done as fast as I can, and I'm out. But now I realize, like, that's not the mentality. That My mentality should be helping each other so we all get through this. We all, like, build a well, like, community so we know that we have each other's backs. No matter what happens, we're there for support. And, like, I know before I started working with the Men of Color Initiative, um, I used to spend a lot of time at El Centro. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Alejandro over there and some other some other friends and like over there i was like they made me feel welcome i was there to able to do my homework and stuff like that and once i got the opportunity to work with the men of color initiative i began to think and i was like we should create a space where students can come by the office and i've also told my friends like hey if you have nowhere to go and you want to study or work on some stuff come by the office and some of them do and then some of them are either too busy but that's fine like as long as I get the word out and let them know that hey you're not alone there's resources out there and if you ever need help don't be afraid to ask awesome both of you have mentioned that it's actually a space that's open um, to many people Um, and we're celebrating Women's History Month all through March in what ways does Men of Color Initiative help to support uh, women of color here on campus 
It's pretty much the same way that we like to support the men of color as well. You know, it does say it's Men of Color Initiative, but we do have respect for our women on campus as well. So any woman, if you guys need any help in any way, if you need any resources or any coaching, I guess you say, just let us know. And we can also help you as well, free printing and everything. So you all have your 2019 Success Summit coming up. Tell us a little bit about that and what we can look forward to seeing. So it's it's open to everyone. Well, we're gonna have a bunch of guest speakers coming in. We're gonna um, they're gonna do mini workshops and break out into groups. We're gonna have a workshop on like life skills, kind of like just time management, uh, microaggressions. We're gonna deal on topics of uh, conflict resolutions, and um, there'll be free food, door prizes. So when you sign up, make sure you get your raffle ticket, guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a cool experience. Come out, network, talk to people. We're also, uh, we want to welcome high school seniors as well, if they could make it. If not, we're kind of focusing on uh, college freshmen, but also like transfer students, exchange students, like anyone, anyone's welcome to it, welcome to attend. And again, where is that going to be? Actually, uh, it's going to be in the sub ballrooms in the sub, and it's going to be Friday, March 22nd. So definitely come out and support and just be prepared to have fun and have a great experience. And where can folks find more information about Men of Color Initiative? So uh, if you want to know a little bit more about the Men of Color Initiative, we are, we are stationed in the Student Advisory Center. Um, right in the back. So if you guys want to come through, just ask for the Men of Color Initiative, and they'll direct you right over to our office. And I'm always there. Eric is always there. And our fellow mate, Jose, is always there as well. So if you want to come by, just let us know. And then if you need to contact us for any reason, I'm always here to talk. Number is 773-577-9334. Just give that a call, and we can give you a lot more information. And uh, to add on that, um, we also have a website. So if you are interested in getting more involved with our initiative, you can go to menofcolor.unm.edu. Also, the email to contact us is themenofcolor.unm.edu. Our Instagram um, username would be at menofcolorinitiative. And then for Facebook, you can find us at UNM Men of Color Initiative. And is there anything else that either you would like to add? Just come by and support, and we're here to give you a great experience. That's the main thing. Yep. If you're looking for somewhere to get involved on campus, we're the spot. Come see what we can do for you. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Sean and Eric. It was really great to meet you and to speak with you both about the leadership and the support that you and the Men of Color Initiative offer to our campus community. In honor of the brotherhood and friendship that you provide, here is Lean On Me by Bill Withers. Lean on me when you're not If I have 
Before we close our show tonight, we have a quick calendar announcement for an upcoming event at the UNM School of Law. It's part of the U.S. Senator Dennis Chavez Memorial Lectureship in Law and Civil Rights. On Thursday, April 4th, you can check out Professor Alvaro Bedoya, founding director of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown Law and former chief counsel to the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law. Professor Bedoya's lecture will look at privacy and civil rights in the age of Facebook, ICE, and the NSA. This lecture series honors the legacy of Senator Dennis Chavez and his advocacy for civil rights law. The evening begins with refreshments at 4.45 p.m. on Thursday, April 4th at UNM Law School. For more information, you can visit lawschool.unm.edu. We hope you've enjoyed this evening of empowerment, and we'd like to thank our guests, Sandra Akkad, Sean Fowler, and Eric Olagir. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by myself, Kateri Zuni, and Roberta Rael. And thank you to our interviewer, Peter Nguyen. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers, because we could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media, so find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the McCune Foundation, the Conal Mihal Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D., and I'm Kateri Zuni. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Here is Salam Alaikum by Harris J. Some fun today. We can go wherever you wanna and do whatever you like. Let's just have a real good time. I said, I